I'm Katie Prejean McGrady, and this is Ave Explores. There's a popular word floating around these days. I think the word has always been part of our vocabulary, but in the past couple of years especially, has become more frequently used in a variety of different places, in Christian circles and mental health circles and conversations even happening in places like the Today Show and CNN, and certainly throughout various podcasting and radio platforms. This buzzword of sorts is healing. And, and I think we use the word, and I say we because I've certainly used the word a lot, as I'm sure you have. We hear the word, we read the word, we talk about the word, and then we, we even go through the experience that this word is discussing, this healing process, and it can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Now, we're kicking off this series on healing, and I'm, I'm talking about this buzzword that's kind of been floating around in our conversation that's been floating around for the past couple of years, I think because, and I'm not making a hidden reference to this, I think because there's a desperate need for it, specifically right now. Healing is needed when there has been hurt, when there have been wounds, when there's been pain. And how we seek out healing, especially when we know here is this big, giant, gaping wound, here is this hurt that is heavy. We seek out the healing, or at the very least, we want to talk about healing, because we know something must be done. We almost approach it at times because we're, we're at our wit's end. We're desperate. We're bleeding out. We see this, this gaping wound, this rough shot scab that's formed that from time to time we keep picking at this hurt that we're carrying, this burden that weighs us down. And so the word healing has become so popular, this buzzy word of sorts, and we're hearing it in all these different circles because the hurts and the wounds of the current moment are so great and are so significant. The person who lost a loved one in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, the person who struggled with feeling worthless and no value, feeling lonely and isolated, the person who turned to various things to cope and have developed addictions, the person who thought that they were okay and then realized one day they were not, the people who are dealing with hurts and wounds that they haven't even shared with others yet, perhaps themselves have not even taken note of. You know, every time we sit down and we plan out an Ave Explorers series we kind of think through the current moment that we're in. We think through who do we want to talk to and what do we want to talk about and how do we want to dig into a topic that's fruitful and life-giving and hopefully helpful to the audience that we have created and, and, and grown to know and love over the course of these 150 plus episodes. And one of the things that kept coming up in our conversation as we were mapping out a new season was that we are at this moment of great hurt and woundedness in our world. And so it's kind of, there needs to be this great healing moment. And we're noticing that healing is being discussed. We're noticing that, that more and more people in both Catholic and Christian and secular circles are discussing it. And so how do we enter into that conversation and discuss healing, as always, from the perspective of our faith? 
sitting down with people who have clinical experience, sitting down with people who have stories of healing themselves, sitting down with people who can help us navigate the sometimes murky waters that we swim through as we search for healing. This Ave Explorer series has hit me in a very personal way. You know, we do these interviews over the course of a few weeks and and as luck would have it, when we started scheduling the interviews, quite a few of them were done uh, right at the beginning. I think I did like five interviews back to back to back over the course of a couple of days. And then I had like a two week break. And then I did five interviews over the course of like a 10 day period at the end, right before we turned everything into the editor. And as I was doing all of these interviews and digging into these conversations, you know, I'd end each one. I'd, I'd stop the recording process on the Zoom call. I'd, I'd hit stop record on my Logic Pro X and I'd, I'd kind of lean back in my chair and, and put my hands over my eyes and just take a deep breath because every single conversation, and I'm not exaggerating this merely uh, for the attempt to get you to subscribe to the podcast, every single conversation hit my heart in a different way. Every single conversation led me to a place of of deeper understanding of my own personal, me, Katie Prejean McGrady, my own personal healing journey. And as we were putting together all of these interviews, we realized we needed one to kind of kick it all off, one to introduce everybody to this whole series on healing. And so I reached out to my friend, Father Rob Gallia. Father Rob and I first met years and years ago at LA Congress in Anaheim, California. He was speaking to the young people and so was I. And we ended up in the speaker's lounge together and we're visiting and Father Mike Schmitz was there and Father Leo Padalinghug and Father Rob. And I kind of found myself sitting at this table with these three very well-known Catholic priests who have these very public profiles and ministries. And I was so struck by one very simple thing as Father Rob and I are hanging out with all of these other awesome people. And it was that he was so composed. I know that might sound kind of strange, but but he was very put together. He kind of had this handle on himself. He was quiet. He was listening. We had made plans uh, before the conference had even started to slip away for a little bit to do a podcast interview for his podcast, the Catholic Influencers Podcast. And so at one point, we, we kind of made eye contact across the table because we needed to get up and go find a, a quiet spot to do the recording. And as we walked out of the room, he, he took this deep breath and I, I turned to him and, you know, we didn't know each other that well. I turned to him and I said, father, are you okay? And he said, oh, people are just a lot. And he was very honest with me in that moment. I don't think he would mind that I'm sharing that story, especially with the conversation you're about to hear us have. You know, and I realized father Rob, just like every person carries great burdens, carries a uh, great weight. And these conversations over the past few weeks about healing and healing journeys and what to do as we seek out healing, every single one of these conversations, including the one that you're about to hear, it kind of felt like for just a few moments, the person that I was getting to visit with, we, we kind of got to carry that weight together. And that's what I think the beauty of this series is, is going to show you. That all of these conversations about healing the masculine heart and healing the feminine heart and healing within the family and, and healing within our moments of, of hurt and pain and healing from addiction and, and healing from all of these things that distract us from Jesus, healing is this process of transformation that is ongoing to where the weight 
of the world, which we so frequently carry alone, we get to share the load for just a little while. We really, really hope that you enjoy this series. We'd love it if you'd subscribe over on the website, AveMariaPress.com. There's amazing things there for you, including the weekly emails that you'll get that will give you these conversations directly into your inbox. We really hope you enjoy them. We really hope they're fruitful for you. And we're so excited to kick them off with this conversation with my now good friend, Father Rob Gallia. Father Rob, it's great to see you from the future. Welcome to Ave Explores. Thank you. It's always so good to be with you and always good to have a chat with you as well yeah. in your busy lifestyle as well. And we managed to make the time zones match. Yeah. So, so the Ave folks said, do you think we could get Father Rob? And I said, I could, I could text him. And they're like, would you? And so I quickly did the math. And I was like, yeah, I think I could text him and it's not like midnight over there or it's not, you know, I, I think it was actually in the evening when the text message yeah. probably came through. And then within 24 hours, we had something set up. So again, we are so, so grateful that you're taking the time. Introduce yourself to our listeners. I'm sure many, many people know who you are and have read your book, but tell us where you are, who you are and uh, all the amazing things that you do. Well, I'm currently in Melbourne, Australia, so I, I work and live and serve here. I serve as a, an assistant parish priest, an assistant pastor in a parish, in a country parish um, in Bendigo. Um, but I only work in the parish maybe one and a half days a week because the rest of the time I run a charity which works to outreach, to bring healing to teenagers, particularly teenagers who are isolated, self-harming, suicidal, teens who don't have a sense of hope and a purpose and don't have, I believe, faith that gives them the stability and the strength that they need. So we create resources, we create school resources, we create um, opportunities for public speaking and travel all around Australia and the rest of the world. And so this takes me, of course, um, th through the United States, through India, Africa. I get to speak to uh, literally, uh, and it's crazy to think, millions of people every year. Yeah. And I'm so grateful for this ministry, but it is so ironic because this we're going to talk a little bit about healing, but it is every time I stand on the stage, I think it is um, I just see God's miracle working power because I'm the least likely person to be mm -hmm. standing in public on a stage. Mm -hmm. I love that your ministry focuses on the healing of young people who are suffering from isolation because I mean, ain't that the name of the game for the past couple of years? I, I did one of these interviews this morning with Roy Pettifee. He'll be later in our season. And we were talking about what he's, he's a therapist and what he's seeing young people bring into the therapy room. And he said, they've, they've experienced so much disconnect. Um, before COVID, you were traveling and you were doing a lot of ministry. Did that shift as we came out of COVID, as things began opening back up because you saw this greater need? Well, what happened was when I was... 2019, as you did as well, because we met in, in a lot of places. Yeah. I, I was constantly traveling. So I, I think 2019 was my biggest travel year ever. So I was on a plane, literally 300 flights. I had 300 flights in, mm -hmm. in 2019. So I got to travel a lot. But once the lockdown happened, everything shut down. And in Australia, I, I lived in Melbourne, which was the most locked down city mm -hmm. in the world. So literally, we couldn't even go to the, the supermarket. We couldn't mm -hmm. do anything. So what we did was we I set up everything here and I started speaking public, speaking as you did, as everyone did. Um, but one thing that I did was I took mass online and mm. somehow we started getting 60,000 people tuning in every Sunday. And so from there, we started a, 
an online ministry and from, from one staff member now to 16 staff members over COVID. And so in a, from, um, we've established it as a charity, as a, as a um, non-for-profit organization. And now we work um, sort of remotely wherever mm. I, I can work um, from, um, like I'm going to visit my family um, for four days and um, my work is not going to stop mm-hmm. because I still keep going. And this is the beauty of the world that we can still be prophets. We can still be at uh, the hands and the feet of God um, remotely and use whatever we have and not be afraid of the technologies, not be afraid mm-hmm. of what is before us to for God to use. Because mm-hmm. the, the gospel's worth it. I mean, being able to bring this message is worth figuring out how to pivot, figuring out how to go online. What what is at the heart of of this healing message that you specifically offer to young people? I mean, what what do they need to hear a lot of times? Well, look, when I talk to young people, I always start off with my testimony. I always start off with my story simply because I know what the darkness is. Mm-hmm. I know what it is to experience incredible desolation Mm -hmm. and now experiencing a glimpse and i don't claim to know god i don't claim to see the glory i don't claim to um even feel god i I, and i'll say this like i haven't felt the presence of god for 15 years but i still have a glimpse of the light of the love of god and this glimpse was enough to change my life forever. Mm-hmm. And so this is where I'm living and I'm I'm driven to give people this light that I that I have received. How I wish someone told me earlier uh, about what could be like the, the the beauty of the love of God and the accessibility of the love of God and that sometimes we come and we try to calculate the cost and we think there's no way young people say there's no way I can stop clubbing there's no way I can stop doing this but we sell ourselves short and sell the grace of God short because the thing is yes it's impossible, but we're going to be equipped. We're going to be empowered to be able to do this. Mm-hmm. And my story is one of, of addiction, of darkness, of mm-hmm. having run away from home, a place where I, I was so lost and so confused that I didn't want to live anymore. I was a self-harmer. Mm-hmm. I was a, a, an addict. I was a person who who just ended up in violent gangs simply because I was desperate to be loved. Mm-hmm. I was desperate to be accepted and I would do anything and anything that was even a, a contrary to my personality because I, my personality is, I, I like to help people. I like to build people mm-hmm. in grade seven and year seven. I won a prize at school and it was the prize of 2000 students in, in, in the school. And I won a prize for the most altruistic student mm in the school, the most kind-hearted student. And sort of one thing that really brought it back and showed me the change in my life and to the the bad change in my life during my time of addiction was when I got into a big fight. I just was sitting at a nightclub one time and I had, by this time I was an addict, by this time I was, I had nowhere to stay, nowhere, nowhere, no one to hang out with. And so the only people I knew to hang out with were these um, dealers, the, the the heads of the of the um, the gang, and I'm sitting at a we call it Hungry Jacks here, but you call it um, Burger King. Mm-hmm. I was sitting at a Burger King, and um, there was this guy coming out of a nightclub. This was like two in the morning, and I'm maybe 15 years old, 16 years old at this point, 
And as I'm sitting there outside these nightclubs, this guy comes out, he's in his 30s, and he's wearing this really cool cap, this snapback. And I go up to one of the heads of the gang. I said, hey, Chris, look at this snapback. This is so cool. And he um, he pushes me and he says, Rob, go and take it. And I'm thinking, how am I going to take it? This guy is triple my size, you know, he's double my age. But I wanted so desperately for Chris to like me. I wanted so desperately. And this was the pain in my heart. You mm -hmm. see the, the pain from being bullied at school, from not getting, not interpreting my parents' actions as an action of love. Their discipline for me was rejection. When in hindsight, it, it isn't, it wasn't. Mm -hmm. But that's the way I interpreted it. And so I kept having this pain, this want, mm -hmm. this need to please others, to love others and, and to be loved by others. And so I, I did it. I, I, I jumped down and I walked towards this 30 year old and I just grabbed his snapback mm -hmm. thinking that the, what's the worst thing that could happen? He's going to punch me in the face and, and, and I'll have the snapback and I'll have Chris's respect. For me, that's a great deal. And mm -hmm. it was it was a good bargain. So I did that. I jumped. I, I grabbed his cap. But before he could do anything, this guy, this 30 year old could do anything. I had a bang like and, and, and 10 of my friends jumped from the from the Burger King. They jumped onto him. And they started to beat him up mm. and they beat him up so badly that he was bleeding. He was begging for his life. But eventually he passed out. He passed out cold. And I'm, I just this is the point where I remember when I started to think there's, there's been a massive shift in my life, mm -hmm. where I'm standing over this guy, 16 years old, this guy's left for dead, bleeding. I'm holding his cap and I'm thinking, you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking, whoa, this is so cool. This is so cool. I, ha I have all the friends I want. I have all the respect I want. I have a new snapback. And I felt so good. It felt good and authentically good. No, not like sad good. It felt good, good. Mm -hmm. And I remember going home feeling full of love. You know, I, I, and it was, it's, it's crazy because mm -hmm. I felt loved. I felt accepted. And I walked away and I, waking up in the middle of the night thinking, what just happened? Mm -hmm. What just happened? Is this guy still alive? Does he have a wife? Does he have kids? And all of a sudden, you know, the old me, which was the good me, the empathetic me started to worry about this person. And I started to think, what happened? Why? Why, how did this shift happen from, from a place of, if I, in year seven, if I saw someone with a disability, I saw someone in need, I would go out of my way. I would mm -hmm. do anything to help anyone. I, if there was trash on the floor, I'd be the first to pick it up because I wanted, and I still do this at the gym. You know, I'm at the gym, I pick up the weights, even if mm -hmm. I didn't put them up, because I want simply to make the world a better place for the people around me. Mm -hmm. And but I reached this point where I woke up in the middle of the night thinking, how, how is it that I didn't even think to care for that person? Mm -hmm. And I, I, to be honest, I at that point, I didn't care because I was too overcome with love and acceptance mm -hmm. or what I interpreted as love and acceptance mm -hmm. and later found out that there, it wasn't there at all because they were using me. They, if ever there was a drug raid, because I was the youngest and the most innocent looking, that stuff all the drugs into my pocket. They, they didn't care if I get caught. They didn't care if I get hurt. But for me, it was just that fitting in, that desperation, mm -hmm. that, and that needed healing in my life yeah. to come back to the, the love, to the true, authentic acceptance. Yeah. You're, you're talking, and I was immediately reminded of, St. Augustine, when they go and they they steal 
and he's reflecting on it in the confessions and and he's like I knew it was wrong and I wanted to do it precisely because it was wrong and because it felt really good to do it and if this is the nature of humanity well we're all there's no hope for us and then of course coming to realize like actually the nature of humanity is that there is always hope that there is always room for resurrection and and room for healing I mean from our deepest wound we behave a certain way I love that you woke up in the middle of the night and you realize wait a second, like this isn't actually who I am. It, it felt really nice, but even in feeling authentically good, there's this emptiness. So at what point did did Rob, the kid who's doing all these things, the addict who doesn't really want to be alive, but is just kind of persisting in this, at what point did you wake up and realize, I can survive this way, but I cannot thrive. I, I can mm. I can live, but I actually won't be alive. Like at what point did you realize something has to change? Well, my desperation and my pain was so big that I kept going. I kept um, stealing, I kept dealing, I kept fighting. and I. But they reached a point where I think the grace of God, at least God used it, where I reached the end of myself because um, I'm sitting in a nightclub one day and a group, group of friends come in and they just basically, and they run towards me and they say, Rob, run away because Chris, the head of the gang, is looking for you. I had said a lie about Chris and I had even forgotten about this lie. Mm -hmm. And he found out about it. And now he was looking for me. And I knew that when Chris was looking for you, you, you're in trouble. You're in big trouble. They found my best friend and they beat him up so badly that he ended up with a fractured skull and Mm -hmm. he ended up in intensive care. And now these guys are looking for me. So I'm terrified. And it was at this moment where I'm, I'm knocking at my parents' house and saying, mom, dad, let me back in because I had run away from home by that point. And I locked myself into my room for eight weeks. Now, I was still an addict. I was still violent. I was still sort of broken, absolutely broken. And it was at this point where I didn't want to live anymore. I didn't because I didn't see any way out. I didn't Mm -hmm. know that there was the possibility of healing. All it was was just pain being covered by, by, by mess. And it was just burying me deeper and deeper and deeper to the point where I just couldn't think of any light. I couldn't dream of any light. Mm-hmm. And so it was at this point where I, I just I just started self-harming and I just wanted this pain. And the reason why I self-harmed was because I just wanted the emotional pain to go away, mm-hmm. even just for a second, just for a moment. And I wanted to die, but I didn't want to die forever. I wanted to die to take this pain away, just to breathe, just to be able to breathe for a second. Mm-hmm. And so it, at, at this point, I just... I would cry and cry and cry, but my mom, you know, my dad would be praying outside my room. And it was just, I do believe that it was because of their prayer, their persistence in prayer, that eventually I sort of thought, I just had this thought, look, I'm going to make, I'm going to give myself two weeks if nothing happens, and I'm going to end it all. But because I, and not not to endorse this this kind of behavior, but it was just, I was so desperate not to die, that I I became hypersensitive to what was going on around me. And I was just looking for hope and over listening com- conversations that my mom was having, my sister was having, trying to find a way to get out. Mm-hmm. And an opportunity arose when a friend of mine called and to invite my sister to a prayer prayer group. And they didn't invite me. And I, after the telephone call, I called my mom. I said, mom, why didn't Mark invite me to the group? And she said, it's because you wouldn't have gone. And and I, I was furious. I was angry. And I said, look, I'm going. I'm going. And the re- I didn't want to go to a prayer meeting. I was depressed. I was anxious. You don't want to be in social 
places, but I went. And when I went to this youth group, there were just, people were so happy and so peaceful. People my age, and they were happy and peaceful in a way that looked real. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that they had a purpose for living. And they were so nice to me. And I, that infuriated me. It made me so angry. Why are you so nice to me? Get away from me. You know, you don't want to be around nice people when you're angry. And and it, but I just, I hated every person there, but I wanted what they had. Mm-hmm. I wanted, I wanted the peace they had. So I kept going to the youth group week after week. And eventually, and the thing that these people did this in this Catholic youth group is that they never carried me to themselves, you know, like, like the, the paralytic, mm-hmm. the, the friends never carried the paralytic to themselves. They desperately and did whatever it took to carry them, to carry him to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And this is what they did to me. And they pointed me to Jesus. And I remember just simply one day, a preacher, a doctor, medical doctor, he's standing there and he's talking about Jesus. And I just, honestly, I fell in love with how he talked about Jesus. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what he said, but I just think, wow, I want to love Jesus. I want to know Jesus like he does. Mm-hmm. And I remember going home, sitting on a chair in the same place where I was self-harming, that same, exact same place. And I tapped the chair in front of me. I said, Jesus, sit down. Mm-hmm. I want to know you like, like his name was Dr. John. I want to know you like Dr. John. And I sit down and I prayed and I didn't feel anything. I was still suffocating, Mm -hmm. but you know, throughout the day I could breathe a little. Mm -hmm. And so the next day I went for my next high, you know, to pray again. Mm -hmm. I could breathe a little bit more. I would go to the youth group and I could breathe a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Eventually I started to find my healing. And I say started because it was a long journey. It was Mm -hmm. a long journey. That was sort of my way up, but it was to be a very, very difficult way up. And I'm still there. I'm still climbing. I'm still climbing. We hear these stories and people, people start to, you know, they start to put their own story on top of the story that they're hearing because they're like, oh, I've been there. or I've seen that or I've experienced something. Maybe not to the extreme, but everybody's got their wounds. Everybody's got their stuff. One of the things I think you do so beautifully is, you know, you tell this story I think the mark of true healing is when you can tell the whole story and you can look at the parts of it. And even if you're still in the midst of healing, you can tell that part of the story and it doesn't open the wound back up because a scar has formed. But at the same time, we have to acknowledge that it's not, and we're going to learn this throughout this whole series with these experts that we're talking to. It's not a check it off the box. Okay, I'm done. Now Father G is healed and I can go out into the world and do the song and dance. Like it's a process of Coming back every single day, Jesus, sit down, let's have a conversation of going to therapy, of, of dealing with our, our internal mental demons at times that sometimes are externally triggered and sometimes are something that we're just, we're, we're angry inside or we think back to that woundedness and we think, Jesus, how can you let something like that happen? I mean, it's always a process. You talk very openly about this. When we sat down for coffee at that hotel in Perth, I mean, you shared with me, you were just like, like, I'm just, I'm, I'm feeling very low right now. And I remember walking away from that thinking, wait a second, how? Like one, you came and had coffee with a perfect stranger who was halfway around the world to, to speak to a bunch of Australian young people. Two, you've been on stage all weekend long leading these young people in worship, but I admired you so deeply for sharing that with me. And I know you've shared that very deeply with, with other people because that honesty in the healing journey is so necessary. How is a priest, a very public profile priest with a successful ministry who's in demand, how do you keep that 
this healing journey that I'm on needs to be central, but also needs to not be this secret thing. Like people don't need to think I'm perfect. Like I'm on this journey constantly. How do you keep those two things in balance? Well, I think one is to be self-aware that to realize even as a priest that I'm a human being and I'm a human mm-hmm. being on a journey that I'm struggling. I'm even in the confessional very often and I'm looking and I'm in tears because I'm thinking, God, I want to be holy like these people are holy, you know, and this is, and this is so beautiful. And sometimes you think, okay, God, the devil has been quite creative lately, you know? <laughs> but other times, like you think, my goodness, it's, it brings such a beautiful conviction into my own life as well, because I realize, I realize that I'm broken and I'm imperfect that I carry, yes, baggage from my past, but it's re- memorized it's reimagined and i think this is one of the things that god does is that he takes our memories and he heals the memory mm-hmm. so like a lot of the memories that i have even those moments where i was beating that person up you know i spent hours just sitting down in prayer reimagining that moment and reimagining jesus and mary at the scene mm. how are they and i imagine them holding this man and protecting this man and looking at me and and Jesus looking from from close to me and saying rob you you're not this is not this is not going to be you this is not going to be you and so when i think of those moments mm-hmm. it is a real moment but it is a reimagined moment so i don't look at it with with anger with with despair but mm-hmm. i look at it with hope because i know even at that moment there was a promise through the healing of memory of healing that was to come mm-hmm. and so for me when i look at these things and i'm often i do give my testimony and i'm in tears because i just i'm broken i hate in a sense that i've hurt that person mm-hmm. but at the same time i'm so grateful that god has redeemed me from that darkness mm-hmm. you know so there's it's it's a mix there's there it's it's filled with gratitude as well when mm-hmm. i tell that story but again i'm still on a journey and i i said so the, that moment in in 2019 on Perth, this was December 2019. I was on a stage, probably you got me at probably the worst time <laughs> um, of my life since that 17-year-old me. Mm-hmm. Because I was on the stage, I was traveling, I was speaking, but I was speaking about Jesus, but not spending time with Jesus. And mm-hmm. I thought it was enough. I thought it was enough. You know, I'm talking about Jesus I, and my meditation and my prayer started to be compromised. And I started to burn out. I started mm-hmm. to burn out because I'm talking to people about Jesus and I'm doing so authentically. I am, but I'm dry. You know, I'm mm-hmm. a I'm a vase, I'm a jar that is emptied and so empty that I didn't let the living water come in, but so empty that I was conditioned to give. And I still started to break off mm-hmm. the corners of the jar and it started to break me. And so I'm at this point where I'm on stage, I'm singing, I'm preaching, and I'm seeing people in tears and seeing people encounter Jesus Christ. But I'm walking off the stage and just hiding in a corner, just crying, just wanting to disappear. Because I felt, I felt like a hypocrite, not only like it wasn't this hypocrisy, but it was just this massive God pursuing me, come back to me, come back to me. But I didn't know how, Mm -hmm. I didn't know how. Because I was a priest, I was a professional Jesus preacher. I was a professional. Mm-hmm. I told people how to pray, but I didn't know how. I know I sat down with the Lord, but I would just stand up again and just get frustrated, feel too unworthy, and mm-hmm. and so. And then the lockdown happened, and I honestly believe that God used it. To, he's a jealous God, you know. Mm-hmm. He wanted me for Him, <laughs> and He pulled me back. He pulled me back. Yeah. 
And yeah, and so I'm still, but now yeah. I'm more. Oh wait, there's a quote that I've become for some reason quite famous for. And someone re reposted it again and got like two thousand likes on on Twitter, and it it scares me now. I had mm -hmm. I used to say this. I said if I had a thousand lifetimes, I would choose to be a priest in each one. Now that that's something I really I really hope, but I used to say that a lot. But you know what? I can't say that with the same conviction today because I'm, in a sense, I feel today that I am grateful for being a priest today. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to live my priesthood faithfully today. And tomorrow is another grace, which I step with fear and trembling of this priesthood. I, I think this experience in 2019 helped me realize my vulnerability. Mm. And sometimes when you come out of healing, mm -hmm. sometimes they can bring a, this sense of like the, nothing can stop you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think God brings us back to humility, brings us back to realize, hey, hold on you're still in need of my mercy. You're yeah. still on the journey. You're still in the process of healing. Yeah. I, you know, you say uh, that God didn't like give the lockdown to us. The lockdown occurred. And from that, God can do something profound. And you know, 2019 was my busiest year too, to the point where when 2020 hit and I had an insanely busy January, February, and March, uh, my marriage almost ended because I was traveling too much. And and Tommy called me out on it. And I said, well, I'm sorry. I, I was literally choosing my work over my family. We had the biggest fight of our married life in a parking lot. I was in a Marriott parking lot in, in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, flew home the next day and was planning on leaving that Sunday for another event. Was going to figure out how to fix my marriage that Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and the world shut down Friday. And to this day, I think back to that, that it was Friday the 13th. I think back to that March 13th. And I was like, that was the day that God said, no, I don't want that marriage to end and brought an, a great amount of healing. That is still a journey that we're walking on because it's never over. But I think so many people that will listen to this series are going to have these aha moments of this wound I was carrying, this coping mechanism that I was living with, this attempt to, to survive, but not actually thrive. And, and talking about how we can heal and seek the healing journey, I think a lot of people are going to grow, both as a result of hearing your testimony and, and all the things that are to come in this season. Father Rob, as we kick off this series on Ave Explorers on healing, we're going to ask every guest a question. So I want to ask you this question. If you could go back to the young man sitting in that chair asking Jesus to sit down, which I would say is kind of the start of that healing journey. I would even go back to maybe when you wanted to go to the prayer meeting. I think that might have been like the real impetus to this healing journey and not mm. even realize it. And as you're on this healing journey now and talk about it in beautiful ways, if you could give yourself a piece of advice at the beginning, what would that piece of advice be? I think I would just, first of all, look at myself and give myself a hug. Mm. You know, and just give myself a hug and not say anything, because I think I, if I got that, an adult that is myself that is still alive, because I really didn't know if I was going to be alive, mm. just give myself, I don't know, I just sit in that hug. And I think I would weep and weep and weep for days, because mm -hmm. I needed any sense of hope, any, any indication mm. that I was going to be okay. And I... Uh, just seeing myself alive and seeing myself smiling and seeing myself in a priestly collar, I think I would have run a mile away and then just saying, <laughs> get away from me because I, I yeah. the priesthood would have been the very last thing on my mind. Yeah. 
But I think it's just be yeah, just a simple yeah. hug and embrace and yeah. just lo- looking at myself and saying it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh man, that's a a beautiful word. Father, we're so grateful that you're taking the time to be with us. Where can folks follow you? Where can they find more of Father G's ministry stuff? I mean, most of our listeners I imagine are in the States, but we do have listeners globally, and I'm sure we'll pick up some Australian listeners in the midst of all of this. So where can we find Well, you? they can go to frgministry.com um, and everything is over there. So my social media, F-R-O-B-G-A-L-E-A, Father Rob Gallia. And also, yeah, we have a podcast, Catholic Influencers Podcast as well. You can check that out. Um, yeah. And check out the book as well that published by Ave Maria yeah. Press. Um, yeah, cool. we'll have a link down in the show notes with the with a discount code, I think. We'll, we'll, and you tell the story much more in depth. It's a beautiful book and, and a real gift. Father Rob, thanks for taking the time. I hope the future is as good uh, as, as it seems to be <laughs> since the time very, The future is very so bright here, too. <laughs> it's good. It's good. Thanks, Father. Thank you. God bless. I think one of the most striking moments in the conversation with Father Rob was that as we were digging into his story, you know, we, we do these interviews over a Zoom call, as we were digging into his story, at one point he, he closed his eyes and I could, I could tell that he was remembering these things from his childhood, from his young adulthood. He was remembering these things and he was putting himself right back in these moments and feeling it all. And yet was still able to talk about it very beautifully and very openly and very honestly. This is, is just a small taste of what we've got coming for you, this Ave Explorers series. So many excellent conversations with people, I mean, I, I truly, truly mean this, with people who shared their hearts so vulnerably with me in the course of our conversations, who wanted to help you, the listener, come to a deeper understanding, truly come to a deeper understanding of what your own healing journey can look like. Now, these conversations include folks like Dr. Bob Schutz, who has literally written the book on healing, Be Healed, Father Sean Kilcauley, Regina Boyd, Roy Pettifee, Sister Josephine Garrett, Scott Weeman, Rachel Kalaki, Letitia Adams, Jennifer Hubbard. So many amazing people who walk with us on this journey of healing, and they themselves have a story of healing. That's what makes this really unique. And we, we've done a series on mental health before, where we talked very practically about the process of seeking out help for your mental health. And this series is not all that different from that. We are digging into the head and the heart, but we are looking at what happens inside the person who desires healing from Christ who desires for the wounds that we carry to be stitched back up in the loving hands of the Father who longs for us to be close to him. These conversations are transformative. They truly are. And I'm, I'm again, I'm not saying that because I'm the host of the podcast and I want you to subscribe. I'm saying that because I, the host of the podcast, was moved by these conversations and think they will be valuable and worth it for you as well. If you go to our website, AveMariaPress.com, you can sign up. If you subscribe to our podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, we'd also love it if if you really enjoyed this week's conversation, share it with your friends, post it on social media. Please tell others the Ave Explorer series this season is, is really digging into the head and the heart in a beautiful way, and we'd love for you to journey with us. So check it all out, AveMariaPress.com, this series on healing, which I truly think will open your heart in a new way 
We've got some amazing content coming. You can find more information over at our website. The link is, of course, down in the show notes. We'll be back next week with an excellent conversation with Dr. Bob Schutz. You're not going to want to miss it. So stick around for more of Ave Explorers as our season kicks off. We are so grateful that you're here. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.